0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Leadership Growth Series. I'm really excited today. A lot of my talks have been around coaching and leadership and something very close to my heart is where my coaching journey, I suppose, um, really took off was after I'd done my degree with the Kingston College and I have the amazing Paula King here with me today and I'm really excited to deep dive more into leadership coaching with Paula today. Paula, can you introduce everyone, I suppose, who you are and what your role is in Kingston College
1: and a little bit about yourself. Sure and Louise thanks so much for having me and um, this is my happy place as I always say. So yeah um, I am a director with a company called Kingston College and uh, my own background I guess is many many years ago I worked at director level myself in European projects. Uh, you and I have talked about this, my big interest is Really making sure that every human being, particularly in the workplace, is valued, you know, nourished and is allowed to reach their attention in all areas of their lives. And springing from that, I did my training and coaching, did my MSc. And I've done lots and lots of training since then. I'm a master practitioner uh, with two international organisations, which I hope indicates my, my dedication to the profession and my needs to be the best I can be. I, I lecture with the college um, on a number of our programs, on the leadership coaching program, and also on the mental health and wellbeing, and the corporate wellbeing program. Right. In recent years, I I have developed, for want of a better word, a huge interest in the space of what we are doing to take care of people in the workplace, because I think traditionally there was this sense: go into work, do your job, go home, uh, and that's all we need from you. Um, not just through COVID, but through, through, through lots and lots of challenges, change, particularly in organizations, I feel sometimes we lose what's most precious to us, which is the people who are working working in these organizations. So I have a huge interest. Obviously, my one-to-one coaching is predominantly, it's predominantly with leaders, um, fantastic people who are doing their very, very best, encountering challenges that you would expect to hear, particularly around the space of change. Um, People who had to leave work, walk out of the workplace uh, not that long ago, and people now are walking back in. Some walked out reluctantly and some are walking back in reluctantly. So how are we managing that? And coaching, I believe, is the safe to manage it well.
0: Yeah. I loved I love that um that introduction around people and, and bringing that back in again, Paula. I think it's 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 really interesting. I think the conversations that I've been hearing a lot is it's very much an employee workplace or workforce at the moment, and it's an employee marketplace. And it got me thinking: why wasn't it always? You know, why? You know, we're seeing all these jobs, and and people are leaving now because there there is a lot of kind of jobs in the market. But it was, you know, our employees being more demanding. Not really that we've just you know realized that people, like you said, we we dedicate most of our life in the workplace. So I think it's it is it's it's so important to be happy because it does come home with you and and, and a lot of people say it doesn't but it does it's, it's a part of work is a part of of both I don't think you can really separate if you're in that business 40 hours 50 hours a week and to go home and not have that effect or impact in some way I think it's really important I suppose leadership for me it, it's not only about a title and it was always that way you know I worked in loads of places where it could be someone um, only working maybe a day or two in the place and they get just as much as those people working full-time as as did the part-time people and looking at coaching I suppose because I didn't really hear a lot about it like you know five ten years ago it's become very much a big big area now at the moment everyone is talking about it Um, I suppose people that are going into a workplace Paula that maybe a lot of the employees in it haven't really heard a lot about coaching and they've done the qualification and they're going in now and they're trying to implement these coaching practices. I suppose, how does that coach or can you share with any stories with us today on how that coach can maybe uh, foster that coaching or implement it in the workplace um, Mm -hmm. for the first time?
1: And I think that's, that's an interesting topic because, as you say, Many, many organizations are now introducing coaching a coaching culture in fact, a lot yes. of really great work has been done, huge amount of work um and that space is one space. so if you do a coaching course and you step back into that environment, of course you're being, you're you're stepping into a society as it were that knows what you're talking about. The challenge I often hear is uh, from particularly from participants on the course actually is but my organization does not incorporate coaching as part of our culture. Yeah, and I had this very conversation with—he's a graduate now, actually. We call him John. So John uh, works for IT. He's a manager in IT. He's not a senior director by any manner of means. He wouldn't be—he wouldn't be, I suppose, sitting at the at, in the C-suite. But he is—he um, is managing quite complex change in the organisation, and the change of the organisation is impacting on the IT team, or was impacting on the IT team. And he was doing the course not to bring it back in because he believed, these systems, as we know, are very powerful, Louise. He believed that the company would not accept coaching as a, as a topic. But he became curious through the course. And he, he and I discussed it and we kind of i challenged him. So he went into the team meeting one Monday morning and he said, um, I'd like to ask some questions before they launched into everything that was going wrong. He said, what three things do you think are going really well here for us? And they looked at him and they started to tell him, yeah, we're doing well. I mean, we're finishing. We're getting, so we're getting our deadlines. We are working well together. The conversation became very positive. And um, he said, what can we do that would, would help our situations be even better? So what he was using was a technique called appreciative inquiry, which you recognize, Louise, which is an approach and a coaching approach, which is really looking at what is what is the best of what's what's happening here for us as opposed to looking what's the worst so what John did was he brought that in the, the whole approach of priest of inquiry with the recognition that words create words and we can become very negative in our words and if we are negative in our words that affects us emotionally and affects our actions. John recognized through his training that people move towards the images that they are creating and his team Every time they were going to a meeting with external stakeholders, were dreading it. So they were moving towards negative images before they even stepped outside of their office, metaphorically speaking. He, he then shared with them. He said, "What do you think of the way I led them?" He was very honest, very transparent. And they said, "You know, this is the first time we feel we've had a, we've had a proper conversation." One person said. One lady said, "It's the first time I've sat here and thought I want to stay." Instead of, I want to get out of here. So it, it starts a conversation within the team that was positive. What did John do? John believes in himself, firstly. He prepared. He went in with his belief system that coaching does is, is a valuable approach. He was transparent in what he did. And he shared with the team. And from then on, they gently started to bring in other tools and techniques. So what John did was, within an organization and a culture, that did not embrace necessarily coaching, he brought it in, and cour- courage is one of the primary gifts the leader can bring, and they be- began to be curious the organization itself. one of the directors began to get very curious what was happening, so it's not happening yes louise it's not a it's not a fantastic, amazing, oh my God, look at that fantastic story. What it is though is evidence that one person with that belief can cascade their message out through an organization. Gently, intensively, one step at a time. So, I, I I often hear this. I can't go back to my organization. Coaching isn't recognized, you know. Oh my goodness, to think whatever. And I always say one step, one one one, just one gentle step, one conversation, one champion that that will assist you, and don't exhaust yourself. So I I do agree with you that it's an easier it's an easier road when the when the company has embraced a coaching culture. But I, I I, think it's um, don't complicate things. If anybody's listening here and they're thinking, oh, my organization is like John's, don't complicate things. Believe in believe in yourself. Believe in the fact that coaching has such a positive approach. Um, bring your tools and techniques in. Priest of inquiry, I would say, is the first step. A good question invites you to challenge and reflect what's happening a little bit deeper. Um, so there's lots of things we can do.
0: Yeah, then that's, that's I think, definitely. I think, Yeah, I think that's a great one. And what I've taken from what you said there, Paula, is that it takes one conversation. And I think, yeah, it takes one conversation. And I think that really stood out at me because I think, you know, we have loads of tools that we can use in coaching and that we can go back and reference and implement. But I think it is just that one conversation, like you said there. Yeah, and as you said, um, words change worlds. So changing changing that language. And it's almost like when I started doing coaching, it's almost like learning a new language. Yeah. You know, it really Thank is. You. It's it's actually learning a new language and it's learning to phrase things in a way that maybe we wouldn't thought of phrasing them in that way before. Um and and you know, and really thinking more strategic on, you know, what's the what do you want the outcome of it? Because I think for most of us. It's a bit like driving a car. When we start driving a car, we're so conscious of checking the mirrors and, you know, we're looking around. And and we, you know, oh, we better we better get the car into gear. It'll conk out, you know, in traffic. And, you know, we get into the car now to drive it and we don't even think. We just do it instinctively. And I think when we're talking, instinctively we talk without actually thinking of the words coming out of our mouth and the impact they have. And I think what's really powerful about coaching and, and and really looking at the words is that what I took out of it and and I, and I think some people I've spoken to have taken out of it is that if I really think about what it is I'm going to say it can really impact yeah. that person with the people around me and I think if if yes. that's something that we can take from doing coaching or or implementing coaching I think it's quite powerful because you know we, we probably don't really think as much about what what comes out of our mouth because again it's second nature to us now a bit like we're <laughs> starting to drive the car you know.
1: That is so true. And I think that's where coaching is fabulous, because we listen. And when we hear somebody create maybe speaking about something in a negative way, we understand the impact on that person emotionally. And that's the reason we ask questions like, is there another way to look at that? Could you reframe that? Simple little questions to assist a person to think of what they're saying. Yeah. you sure? Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm i hearing a lot at the moment um, about empathy in leadership and um, I think it's fantastic. I suppose I want to flip empathy on its head a little bit and I always look at things from, from different perspectives because I've been in work environments where my empathy has been an overdrive and I I've, I've became aware of that and I became quite burnt out at times because I I let that nearly take over me a little bit. And self-regulation, I find, in, in leadership isn't really looked at a lot, I find. So we look at, at empathy and we look at, you know, are we, you know, empathizing with people? But I just find, found myself on my own journey that, that self-regulation awareness isn't really spoken about a lot in leadership roles or for management teams Um, Is having an awareness around that of yourself, but also how you give that out to others. Can you share any story, I suppose, with people listening in today of something that you feel um, really touches on that a little bit?
1: I so understand where you're coming from. I so understand. And it's interesting, actually, even the space of coaching. Um, If you think about it, a person going to become a coach, I've never I've never met a a coach and said to them, do you like people? They go, Oh, I don't yeah. like people, Paula, but I want to become a coach. That's never happened, Louise, and never will yeah. happen. Yeah. So yeah. then it follows that a lot of people who are attracted to coaching are, are people with great empathy.
0: Yes.
1: Also, they're, they're, some of our most fantastic leaders are very empathic people. So mm-hmm. ah, that sounds great. And I've been doing a lot of talks recently, exactly uh, based on your curiosity, paradox of empathy. Yes. Exactly based on your curiosity. Um and I will talk a bit about, about the link to 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 that and burnout in a few moments, and I, I, I will share a story with you there. But we if anybody is listening and they're particularly interested in the space of empathy, I would draw their attention to a man called Batson First. Um, and he did some work with a neuroscientist in the University of Chicago. Um so we, we talk about empathy, but we don't really know what's going on in the brain. We, we, have sense, you know, we ask what empathy is. We ask a person they go, Oh, it's getting stepping in somebody else's shoes or it's understanding what somebody else is thinking. But as Batson would say, how do you really understand what somebody else is thinking? That's not really, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. We might, we might have, we might have some intuition. We might have some knowledge of the person. But this, in, in this, in this experiment that they did, they, um, they studied the neuropaths, what was happening and the, the experiment itself was they invited people to watch a pain, uh, people going through a painful procedure. So you and I are watching it and this person is going, these people are going through a pain pain procedure. As maybe if you're in the workplace and somebody is going through a mm. certain pain. And one group is asked to imagine self. So you are the person, you're imagining self, you're, you know, you're watching it and you're imagining self. And the other group is asked to imagine others. So, not imagine what the other people are feeling. So, one is in, in inside, and the other is outside, um, and the impact, of course, what happens when people are imagining self? You could imagine they they were they were very distressed. They became very distressed, very upset. Um, they they were became very highly emotional. The people who are imagine, man, uh, imagining others became they became more um, emotionally aware of what the other person was feeling. But this is really important. Because then there's another one, another another study done by a man called Paul Ekman. Now yes, again, if anybody's in listening to this, these are two really good studies around empathy to help us to to understand empathy. So Ekman studied empathy from three three spaces. So the first was cognitive empathy. So cognitive empathy is you know, Louise, when somebody says, Oh god, I do, I know how you're feeling. I know how you're feeling. And mostly that's what we're saying. It's cognitive. It's it's from it's just we just know. And we can appear quite cold if we use cognitive empathy. And um, I read one book, which I'm hesitant to say, but anyway, torturers have cognitive empathy, bullies have cognitive empathy, as you can imagine. It's not going anywhere else. Now, the next one that Ekman talked about was emotional empathy. And this is probably where you and I and a lot of coaches, a lot of leaders, and um, a lot of people who end up m- moving into burnout, that's this is what they bring to their conversations. And emotional empathy is where I know how you're feeling, I'm feeling it. You're crying. I'm crying. You're upset. I'm upset. We're upset together. So it's like emotional contagion. I have taken on board your heart and pain. Not particularly useful to you and certainly not useful to me. Certainly me coming in. So what we want is compassionate empathy. And this is this is what Ekman talks about. I, I won't go into this as much in today as I would like to. But if you read his work, it's really, really good. So compassionate empathy is bringing, is bringing the two other elements, emotional, and and cognitive in. So I, I know I know how you feel, if you do, if you feel you do. I've felt it, if you have, um, and, and, you know, I understand. So I wonder what you can do about it. Let's talk about this. What do you think you could do about it? And so we're shifting into that, the Bateson talks, Bateson talks about imagining others and empowering them to start creating decisions. And this is really important because if we constantly, constantly bring emotional empathy to our engagements, we will end up, moving towards burnout no human being can carry everybody else's everybody else's um challenges it's not it's not humanly possible you're the person who goes home in the evening upset and tired you'd be the person going home in the evening um with no energy left so it's really important when i speak to my clients i speak a lot around this a lot a lot i do a lot of constantly uh, going back what empathy you bring to that conversation and I often get back, oh, I know I got sucked in again. But I'm so sorry for X, Y, and Z. They're working really hard. And then I start the challenge around. So if you brought got compatriots empathy in, what do you think they could do? So that this is really important for human beings who are very empathic, really important. So I could share a story with you that's useful. Um, just around, so I've encountered a lot recently around burnout, an awful lot. I don't know how the universe is sending so many people. Maybe sending me a message around the space to work in, but it's a lot of leaders are going through, really going through excessive burnout. So when I say going through, let me rephrase that because that's not actually true. They're in danger of it or they've gone through it. So I meet meet clients who are moving towards it or who are coming back into the workplace having encountered it. I never meet a person in burnout. It's too late. It's too late then. The, the, The intervention wasn't there. So, burnout and stress are very different. So, stress is, and again, I'm asked this question quite a bit. Stress is when we have too much of everything. We have too much work. We have too much going on. Um, we have too much pulls in our times. Burnout is when stress becomes elevated to a space we can't handle it. So, burnout is not enough. It's the space where you're depleted of energy. You... There's a mental distance from you and your workplace. Your professional, your professionalism is, 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 is actually impacted on. What organization in the wide world, Louise, would want their talented people to go into burnout? What organization? It makes no sense. Hmm. So I have a client, we call her Jessica, a senior leader, high achiever all her life, and was promoted into a, a position in a, a multinational, actually. And she ended up reporting to two directors. Now, there's no unkindness in this story from the director's point of view, but the two directors were in two totally different portfolios and my client reported to them. So the pulls in her time were excessive. And my client had never learned to say the word help ever because she's a high achiever and she was able to do it. No problem. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it until the day she couldn't anymore. Nobody thought to question the fact that this talented person no longer seemed to be coming into the workplace energetic. Nobody thought to question the fact that at meetings she was quite distant. At meetings, sometimes she was asked a question and she she obviously was not in the room. Nobody thought to ask the question, what is the reason this talented person's workload or work um, is, is going down? Nobody asked the question until the day she could not keep going any longer. I collapsed in the workplace and went had to be taken to hospital, where she was exhausted, totally exhausted. She hadn't been sleeping, so she was exhausted. All the signs were there, but we're not trained in them. We're not trained in the signs. So mm-hmm. my client ended up in burnout. And now this is theory. So burnout is now recognized as a medical term, term. This is another interesting one. Mm-hmm. Who at uh, the World Health Organization looked at it, and started um, exploring, should it be um, a medical term? But they then said they called it an occupational phenomenon. An occupational phenomenon. I mean, really. So it's not recognized as a, a, as a medical, in a medical sense, but it's recognized as an occupational phenomenon. I mean, you and I probably would have a lot of deep conversations on that one, Louise yeah. So eventually my client, became, I, I met her uh, after this, actually. She um began to she she was on medication, uh, but she decided she'd go back into the workplace. Did they bring her back in and sit her down and say, "How are you"? Did they bring her back in and put mechanisms in place to ensure that she was okay? No. What happened the evening before she went back into work at eight o'clock that evening? She was due back at eight in the morning. She got an email asking her to go to a meeting to represent the organization, and and she was given paper to read. And that was, that was exactly what happened. So she stepped back in, stepped right back into this. I don't know how would you even call it. I can't even imagine. Whirlwind of just negativity, trying to manage, uh, trying to read the paper, trying to get herself up half the night. Two young children forgot to mention that bit. Uh, up half the night reading this paper so she'd arrive in. Nobody greeted her. Nobody greeted her. She got an email just telling her where to go to and she met a client. Now, there are so many things wrong with that story that couldn't even start. Mm. I didn't meet her in a coaching context because of burnout. I met her in a coaching context because of a leadership program where the leaders were invited to go for coaching. And she's sitting with me, and she's an absolutely superhuman being. And after a little while, we're talking about the challenges in work. And she she revealed she just started to talk about the story to me, and the first time we could have a discussion around resilience. She was the first time she ever spoke to anybody about how to put in space. So even when she was on on medical leave, she was given medical medical assistance, but she was never given resilience tools to help her cope. Ever around boundaries. Boundaries are a big one, Louise. Yeah. Boundaries are a big one. So one of the the biggest things we did together was. What were her boundaries? And we worked together. And how she was, first of all, she said, I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are. Uh, that's another interesting conversation with people. What are your boundaries? A lot of people look at me and go, never thought of it. Define your boundaries. Then you have to communicate them. Say, look, this is, I've thought about this. And keep it simple because a lot of us go, I'm sorry. I know this probably you like to speak to me at. I'm really sorry. Keep it simple. Don't explain. And then the, the the last one is you have to share the implications if your boundaries are not respected. So some some thoughts there, just throwing them out. I don't know what where your thoughts are yourself as you're listening, Louise, but yeah. it's a very serious, it's not, it's not um burnout should not be happening to our talented people.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, a lot a lot of thoughts are, are coming up on that. And I think for anyone listening that is in the workplace. I would be asking myself as an organization, as you touched on there, what do we have? What what conversations are we having? Um, and how regular are those conversations yes. with people? and And it's not necessarily, you know, when things start going wrong, because that's actually only when the questions get asked, you know, this. And it goes back to, you know, if, if we talk about coaching, if we talk about performance, if we talk about anything like that, it is the language we're using. So it goes back to those people asking her questions, you know, how are we actually, you know, touching in with these? And I find it is mostly what you said there. It is usually the high performers that, and I used to find there's an, there's an unsaid expectation so there's an unheard expectation where they're fine. They they always get the stuff done. We will give them more work. Sure, they're well able. They're well yeah, able. True. And you would hear this. I mm-hmm. would hear this a lot uh, from other managers. And, you know, they mightn't say it, but you'd nearly go that high performing. And then what you end up seeing is what you said there is things start slipping. And then they yeah. start giving them, they start going quite hard down on them when things start oh, slipping, yeah. I find. Oh, yeah. They go very hard on them because... They have them on such a pedestal that, you know, the expectation is, is that they always get the work done. So now, you know, there's no room for that error, I find. And it's actually a lot harder for those people to ask for help because there is that invisible expectation that you are the star performer. And it's harder if you're the type of employee that maybe makes mistakes on, you know, a regular ish bit or you've made mistakes and you've kind of pushed past that point where you don't have this almost this this view of you know I am that star performer I think it's actually harder for those people you know Um, and and I do think there's not enough conversations around that at all and even coming back into the workplace how do we actually and I think a lot of people it's avoidance it's Uh I don't really want to talk about it because I don't really know where the conversation is going to go so We're going to let Mary, Bob, or whoever come in. We'll just give them the work. We'll pretend, you know, and and go on as such because it, it's maybe uncomfortable for them. Um, but we really need to be looking at that as well. And it's it's interesting you said that. So I, if I was listening to this, and if I was in in those in an organisation at director, whatever level that is, mm-hmm. um, really look at: do we have something like that in place? And if not, why not? you know
1: exactly exactly and that's the reason I think for the college that we designed the corporate well-being coaching Mm. course because it's not around um assisting a person who's gone through mental health challenges it's around how do we stop that happening Mm. how do we create the I love what you said there how do we create the dialogues because very often that's what that's what's not happening nobody said Jessica how are you feeling nobody which is she was walking into rooms she told me and she couldn't remember what she was doing there, whether it was on Zoom or if it was, she, she, she kept, she kept zoning out. She, at one point, she thought she was having a brain tumor. She actually thought there was something radically wrong with her physically. Just couldn't cope. And nobody, nobody thought to say, how are you? Yeah. So just a simple few words like, how are you really? Trying to talk? Yeah. And that's, sometimes that's all we need. Somebody said and it's like, not great. You know, just not great yeah. at the moment. I said, mm. human, human dialogue. We're all human beings. We all have days where, we, where nobody in the world gets up every single post and says, yay, every day. We all have days where you go, oh, geez, oh, God, I'm tired today. We all do. And for somebody to say, are you okay, it means an awful lot to us.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd, it'd be great if, there was, if that was hanging above every workplace uh, entrance or exit. When was the last Hi. time you said, how are you today? when was the oh, last time us. just hanging up when was the last time you said how are you today to someone in in that in that building you know i just think it'd be it'd be amazing
1: and equally you know if there are people listening mm. and they think i'm just not trained or, i don't feel comfortable yeah. there's so many fantastic the whole web the, the world health organization website is great uh, mental health mm-hmm. ireland mental health europe are amazing amazing so if you're somebody who's listening and if you're struggling um, if it's, and if you're thinking, gosh, I, I I, think I'm in a space. You can go on these websites or if you are somebody who thinks, I think I have a my team is a little bit uh, under energised. These websites will help you to have the conversation. Yeah. You know, even mm-hmm. if it's nobody you can go to in the organisation itself. So never, ever, ever feel you're on your own. I think that's a really important message today for us, for you and I, for anybody listening. Never feel you're on your own. The word help is not, is not a a word to be ashamed of.
0: Mm.
1: It's the word to be proud of. If you're brave enough, put your hand up and say, Jesus, help. I just, today is one of those days I need to talk. Be brave and do it. And remember, there's so many resources. If you, if you feel, if somebody feels that listening to to us today, Louise, I can't go and talk to X, Y, and Z. You know what? Even reach out to something myself and I'll always be able to help in some way. So my point is we don't want anybody ever sitting in a room on their own going, I don't know where to find help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think there is loads of resources there. But again, reach out, reach out to people. And it's 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 nothing to be embarrassed about. And I think sometimes in in your own workplace, it's something that it can be hard. It can be hard to ask for that help. And we're great at helping others. But we're you know, we're not so great at, at, at asking for that help ourselves and and I think you know that's that's something I see a lot as well Um, and so I think definitely ask for that if you can't within that but go outside of that and and check out Mm. those resources there and and I'll pop a couple of them up underneath this podcast so people can tap into those links as well Paula Um, and definitely yeah Um, so we were talking a little bit which leads us quite nicely into the, into the next question um which which led kind of we were talking a little bit around burnout a little bit around empathy and overdrive a little bit around kind of what happens in the workplace um i suppose there's many tools in coaching that we can use um if if we do coaching if we practice coaching if we do that degree program um using the perma model um in coaching can you explain to people what that is and um, that have maybe heard about it or they've maybe done the course and they're kind of going right A situation coming up in work how do i now use that um, perma model with somebody that needs that little bit of support in the workplace that's feeling overwhelmed
1: mm-hmm. yeah perma's brilliant and i think frames you listening again who hasn't hasn't uh, read anything about uh, martin Siligman's work as you and I know we love him. and um, I would definitely draw their attention to it and go online and um and there's some good YouTubes where he talks about it because obviously he's the creator. And again, with positive psychology, um I, I don't know if you do as well, Louise, I like the VIA, the value indicator assessment. So just that people who are listening know there are some great free resources under the positive psychology banner as well. And um Martin Silvan himself would would really um I suppose have great faith in the PERMA model because of the humanity of it and the research behind it and before i even launch into what it is it's to remind anybody listening this is scientifically researched because sometimes we talk about positivity and we talk about um happiness and we talk about fulfillment people can turn off and go ah oh, geez but when we talk about science people can go oh okay it's, it's uh, so this is scientifically proven for anybody who's listening going what so the PERMA model is p is for positive emotions the back over them, is for engagement or relationships, M for meaning and A for accomplishment. So positive emotions. If you think about everything we're talking about here, burnout, stress, um, work overload, boundaries, none of that, if they're impacted on negatively, will lead to positive emotions. And we do not operate to our best if we do not have positive emotions. So for an organization to say, we don't care if all our, all our employees are coming in stressed and unhappy, as long as they do their work. They'll do their work, but they'll do it this level. Positive emotions brings us to this level. So if you were coaching somebody in the workplace, the dialogue is around where are you at your most, I wouldn't even use the word happy, maybe your most satisfied, where you feel, where you feel um, that this is the right space for you. What gives you positive emotions? And People answer that in loads of different ways. People say, well, my family, not with my family, could <laughs> be either way, uh, walking in nature and then encouraging the person to put in place a little action plan where that's what they're going to do. So going back to, I mentioned one client, I had another client who went through the exact same thing but hadn't been into burnout and who was not doing anything uh, for themselves. And one of our, our coaching sessions was very simplistic in some ways it might appear, but we focused totally on positive emotions how she could revisit them because they weren't in her life. That's really important. The space of engagement, and again, I think we've all been there, where you're doing something, I come to Louise, and I go, what? It's two hours later, and you go, I didn't realise I was so engrossed. I I was really enjoying myself. So, the word flow... Uh, comes from a man named Chick, Chick Alley. Might <laughs> even want to try and pronounce it properly, but that's more or less correct as far as I remember. And he, he looked at the whole space of flow around positive psychology. And he said, as much as possible, we need to find our, our place of flow. Again, uh, creative people, for example, might be that they're, they're making a beautiful birthday cake or they're, um, doing a beautiful flower arrangement and they're in flow and they're, and um, for me, that would not work. Personally, I don't make birthday cakes. And I don't like gardening. Um, but for me, it's research. I love what I do. And when I go into, say, even these spaces we're talking about today, Louise, burnout, and thinking, how can I work with human being to assist them? I'm in flow. You could, you could meet me two days later. It's still, I wouldn't even need breakfast. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe breakfast, maybe a coffee. So it's, it's again, the conversation with the human being thinking, where, where are you in that space? And how often do you visit it? Because that's what's important. The aura part, the relationships, I think personally is, and again, I don't want to negate anything else. I don't think anything more important than relationships and every research. Again, if anybody's listening, which is the Harvard research on longevity, and um, there's every research would indicate mm. the relationships we have that feed our soul are so important. And going back to the space of a priest of inquiry, for example, in a priest of inquiry, we have a terminology that uh, we focus, what we focus on grows because it's about focusing our attention. There's a beautiful religious, so not religious, spiritual, actually, from Deepak Chopra, you may have heard of him, in one of his books, where he talks about what we focus on is growing and developing in our lives. And what we take our attention away from is withering and dying. Now, that's scary. I have that on my wall. I give it to my clients. Focus on what's feeding your soul. And don't take away your attention for it's feeding your soul and let it wither and die. So relationships are really important. You know, uh, you spoke to me, Louise, about a um, 103-year-old lady, I think. and My aunt, um, I always rang her. Every time I talked about relationships in, in, in these discussions, I always rang my auntie Maura after, from a place called Connemara in the west coast of Ireland. Um, she passed away a few weeks ago, and I miss her. But, I mean, I, her daughter is was her care. And after this, I will contact her daughter, because I always contacted Maura. I just remember that now. But the reason I did it was I recognised... The importance of nurturing the people who nurtured me. So relationships are really, really important. Um, so we have our M, which is, which is meaning. Purpose. What's your meaning in your life? What gives you purpose? Again, huge amount of research done around that. Human beings need purpose. You will meet people. I, I coach people sometimes, particularly senior leaders who are so into their jobs. And only recently somebody said to me, he said, you know, I just can't. I just can't seem to find it anymore. He used the word. I don't know if you he heard this word before. Mojo. I can't find my mojo. And I said, "Well, what gives you meaning in life?" "What gives you meaning?" He said, "Well, I'm not a. I see, I'm not a Buddha. I don't have meaning." <laughs> I mean, a great conversation then, because all human beings need meaning and purpose. Mm. And we went deeper into that and charity and giving back. Was, so we went deep, deep into that, and it was really, really wonderful. And the last um, space that um, Thirdman talks about is accomplishments. We all want to accomplish something. And the paradox is, when we do, we all talk and celebrate. So small things. Get up in the morning and thinking, you know, today I'm going to whatever it might be. I might go to the gym. or I might go for a walk. I might try that recipe. I might write paper, whatever it might be that, that features soul. And then saying afterwards, I did it and I did it well. So gratitude is very linked to accomplishments. So PERMA is all around that space. Again, friendly listening, Louise, who hasn't heard that, that particular, I know you and I love it, but if you haven't heard that about that model before, I definitely would encourage reading a little bit more about positive psychology, because it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Research is really great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great, Paul. I think it's, it's something that... I think it's, and and a lot of the stuff we're touching on today, there is a running theme on it, but a lot of these, and the reason I'm touching on these different tools is before we went live, I was mentioning to Paula that, I needed tools at certain points in my life. And I think it's great when people hear about practical, as you said, scientifically proven tools that they can look at and put a little bit of structure around those conversations. And, you know, having that one conversation um, and how that can can change, you know, that one person without them actually realizing the impact that when that person goes home, that they're going home to a family and the impact then that will have on their family. As a result it is a chain reaction so it's so so powerful and um, conflict a little bit around i suppose conflict in the workplace and avoiding difficult conversations and this feeds into I suppose we we're talking a little bit around the perma model a little bit around empathy and burnout and um, a lot of a lot of people i speak to that have that uh, huge amount of empathy and um, they might be feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. a lot of them are avoiding asking for help or or doing different things because they're uncomfortable with having those conversations. And sometimes there is maybe they have an idea in their head that those conversations aren't going to go the way they would like them to go. It's an uncertainty because maybe they're not used to asking or having those um, conversations where they feel maybe the person, the recipient isn't going to maybe enjoy what they're about to deliver um, is there any anything you can share with us I suppose um, because obviously you've so many years of experience in coaching Paula um, and you've great stories to share and I love listening to you I could honestly listen to you every single day or
1: you, oh, you, when
0: you talk thank you have a knowledge you. and a wisdom about you that is is thank is is really admirable to be honest with you and I'm listening here and I'm really in a, in a deep train of thought as I'm listening so it's quite hard to come out of that again and ask a question yeah, but you. it's... Um, I suppose what, what what do you think that, that leaders can do maybe that are feeling that they want to maybe change something that's making them unhappy and they want to have that difficult conversation? Is there anything you could share around that maybe from a coaching perspective? Well, there's so
1: much there. There's so much there. So, I mean, the space of conflict is one thing. The space of conversation is another thing. Yeah. I think what happens to us when we, well, first of all, we catastrophize. Yes, we catastrophize. And again, if you think about the of inquiry, we move towards the images we're creating. So I'm sitting here thinking, I've got a difficult conversation tomorrow with Jim, we'll say. And then, I, and then I'm visualizing what Jim is, how Jim is going to react. Then I'm visualizing getting angry. Then I'm visualizing, oh my God, we never talk again. So I'm, I'm catastrophizing. I'm, I'm, for, I'm a fortune teller now. I don't know how he's going to react. So the first thing to do is to, is to train yourself, to train the brain. And um, obviously the space of neuroscience is really interesting again. They, we can create new newer paths in our brain. We didn't know that before. We always thought they were a bit of like a computer. So it's thinking it's it's remembering how the brain is 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 developed has developed. It's remembering that the primitive brain came first, the fight or flight, that, that primitive brain, because that's how we survived. How else do we survive? And then the amygdala, the, the, the emotional brain came next. And we, we hear this terminology, the um the amygdala hijack, and that's what happens to us. So we're, we're visualizing having a conversation and we're getting ourselves all upset and we, we have no tools and techniques to help us and we've now, no way are we going. To, I mean, I am not going to go to the gym tomorrow morning. You know it and I know it. So I'm too upset already at him being so angry with me walking away. So I've, I've had the whole conversation. I've, I've been, I've, I'm have been. i a force teller. So it, it's, it's going back to how the brain is working and, and engaging the, the neocortex, the intelligent brain, to move away from this hijack And but simple techniques are so useful. So ABC is fantastic. So I'm sitting here and thinking, oh God, I'm really upset now because I've got this conversation with Jim. Acknowledging it, a acknowledging it, because acknowledging it is bringing the bringing the intelligent brain in. It's it's beginning to look at this emotion and going, I am feeling like that. And even visualizing if you're a visual person, whatever see here and feel. Then thinking the next thing is is the b i'm feeling this way because just simple sentence i'm feeling this way because i value jim's opinion of me i feel this way because jim may may now think i'm a weak vulnerable person i feel this way because i might hurt you i feel this way because um jim has no idea what this conversation is going to be about writing it down and then the final what am i going to do i choose so i choose to i choose To believe that Jim is a good person. And between us, we're going to work this out. I choose to believe. I choose to remember my friendship with Jim. I choose to expect Jim to be an authentic human being or a human being with integrity. That's a really good one, visualizing a conflictual conversation. And you and I both know the CIA is fantastic. We Mm -hmm. love that. Coaches, we love it. We tell our clients to join the CIA all the time. Mm -hmm. So sitting down quietly and thinking, what can I control here? I can control how I contribute to this conversation. I can control that. What can I influence? Well, perhaps I could speak to somebody before I went to that meeting. Yeah, maybe I could do something like that. What do I have to accept? I have to accept that perhaps this will upset you and I have to be prepared to handle this with, with, um, sensitivity. So little tools, ABC, small tools can help us to stop catastrophizing. And move into a space for bringing the neocortex with us into a meeting and, and be brave.
0: Yeah, Bravely. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm going to pop these links at the bottom of this um, podcast, Brilliant. like yeah,
1: the fantastic. PERMA
0: model, the CAA model and, and different yeah. things like that. So people can, when they're listening, they can maybe pause and they can go back and, and maybe write some of these things down. And I think, you know, even two or three of the tools and see how they can structure those conversations in their daily you know those daily yeah. conversations that we have to really to really put that into practice a little bit to, to help them um on their journey and it doesn't matter if you know it doesn't matter where you are in your journey you could be super happy in work if, if changing or having one of those conversations um will absolutely. help someone else it'll it'll really absolutely support. yeah absolutely definitely.
1: yeah and don't forget in conflicts as well with switching perspectives is a huge one louise you know looking at something from another another person's perspective again helps us to bring the neocortex into play absolutely
0: Yeah. yeah and I think definitely writing writing them down I think which is really powerful as well I think writing down it 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 slows the brain it's it's putting that pen to paper and it can it can really bring that reflective piece i think you spoke about there that you know that perspective um and it it gets us out of our own head as well which i think is is really important and it's 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 a great one to use um we've gone over time and and honestly i could i could i could totally stay on this um Mm -hmm. it's it's been fantastic one final question i'm going to ask is I suppose as a leader, as a coach, um, what do you think um, today in the world, if there was three things you could pick, soft skills base that you would love for a leader to have, what would those three things be?
1: I suppose we we could definitely say courage and humility. We can definitely say that. Um, We can definitely say integrity and we can definitely say being present. So we can say all of those wonderful things. But in my opinion, Mm. the most important gift any leader to and if any leaders listening to this, this is why I believe deeply is compassion, compassion for themselves and compassion for others, because that's what's needed now in the workplace. It's compassion. So of all this, this what it would I call what it calls the soft skill. I suppose we would because it's not idea IT or whatever, but compassion. Yeah. You know, and being, being self-compassion is equally important for leaders. It's it's a challenging time. Yeah. It is a challenging time. Some leaders are saying to young moms, get back into the workplace, knowing that they're going to have to travel for an hour, an hour and a half, knowing that, but still having to do it. They're having these conversations that we're talking about, you Juna. So they have to be self-compassionate and then also compassionate towards others. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Paula. It has been it's amazing busy. having you on. Um, we touched on so many different things. I'll have the links at the bottom. Um, it's been fantastic, and I've really, really enjoyed. You did write a book, and I just want to say that the very because we come to the end, will you give a shout out what your book is for anyone that wants to maybe you know you said it was a textbook about coaching and about all of the tools and stuff, and a lot of the tools we talked about today will be in that as well what's the book Paula where can people get it so thank
1: you thank you so the book is called becoming a master coach and I wrote it for obviously for for um as I call it, young coaches I wrote it for people who are in the coaching journey for a long time and I wrote it for HR and leaders who'd like just to dip into a book and learn some coaching tools and techniques so it is quite big <laughs> as you can comment it um, and there's lots and lots in it I hope people will find it useful and um, lots of reference materials. Uh, we tip on everything we're talking about today positive psychology, conflict mm-hmm. coaching, team coaching, career coaching. So lots there. Yeah. So yeah. I hope anybody who's listening, hope they enjoy it. If they do buy it, it's on Amazon.
0: Brilliant. Okay. So it's on Amazon. Definitely check it out. There's a couple in there, but I think it's a great one as a reference and as a guide and something you could even do with your team as a team huddle, you know, talking about different ones, even at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the week um, as a talking point to get those conversations going. So thank you so much, Paula. I really appreciated your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Louise. Keep
1: shining your light. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You.